millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's me, Obama. If you haven't seen the news, I'm down in Australia and popped into the Mr. Mitchell History Podcast to talk about my experience in dealing with Xi Jinping. This is the second in a double episode series on the historic U.S.-China relationship. Make sure to pause right now and give the podcast a rating on Spotify. This one gets really tense as the boys discuss World War III. So, we left last week on a bit of a cliffhanger mm. with the Tiananmen Square Massacre. So this is the second in a two-part series on the effectively rise and fall of the U.S.-China relationship. Now, we left with Tiananmen Square and George H.W. Bush comes out straight away and is like, this is, this is wrong, this is evil, this is a great crime against humanity. Doesn't really have any other option. Mm. What's he going to say? Yeah. Ah, we've seen worse. Yeah. And again, world leaders are doing the same thing. So Bob Hawke is in tears. Uh, so he gives a speech to parliament where he cries about the Tiananmen Square massacre. Mm. And so... Bush's hands are tied, but if he's really punitive, that undoes well, 15 years of diplomacy. Mm. And so he's got to really carefully think through, well, how can we do this in a way that shows strength to the Americans, but doesn't humiliate the Chinese? He sends his secretary of state. So where, where, what happened? What happened? What was the massacre? So effectively, long story short, as China's getting these economic reforms and they're getting becoming more capitalist, they start people start demanding democracy too. And there's also other there's one part of the um, Tiananmen Square massacre that isn't spoken about is that they were protesting against corruption. And so again, people are flocking to to Beijing and to Tiananmen Square, and they're in the streets in the hundreds of thousands. And so basically, this is kind of there's like a month long standoff. They're also in like kind of memorializing the death of a guy called Hu Yaobang. So Hu Yaobang was technically number one in China. It was really Deng Xiaoping, but it was Hu Yaobang who was seen as a democratic reformer. And so they're, pro, they're kind of standing in solidarity for his death and saying, let's continue the democratic revolution that he wanted. And that's kind of the, the, the pretext, but they don't leave. And Deng Xiaoping effectively says, we're not going to go the route of a democracy very clearly. 
And they're like, sir, but he's not, they're not leaving. And so Deng Xiaoping declares martial law and things get pretty tense. So soldiers are out like policing the streets. Look, different accounts say um, the widely accepted narrative is that when they wouldn't clear the streets, the tanks just came in and they started shooting down Chinese people. They certainly did shoot down Chinese people. Where I'd add some shades of grey is we do have kind of documented cases of some soldiers being pretty brutally killed by protesters. Again, they'd be a minority. If you've got a group protesting in the hundreds of thousands, they're not a monolith. Mm. The majority probably were peaceful, democratic, mm. you know, non-violent protesters. Mm. But if you've got hundreds of thousands of protesters, you're going to get some rogues. And so we do actually have cases of soldiers. You can find you can find photos on 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 Reddit. Like there's one of basically a Chinese soldier pretty much just like hung against a, a, a tank and kind of pretty much beaten to death by some of the protesters. Mm. And so that's where I'd kind of add the shade of grey that doesn't really make the narrative very often. And so Deng Xiaoping effectively orders the tanks to go in and start shooting Chinese people. So naturally that would make the, the Chinese people kind of, uh, they would put Deng Xiaoping out of favour. Well, what but Deng Xiaoping does is he, re- like he, reti- he retires after this. Okay. But he still kind of walks around, literally, he's kind of like David Brent when he gets made redundant. How okay. He just comes he's back in from morale. Yeah. Mm. Deng Xiaoping would mm. often do that. So Jung Zemin's the new leader and he'd be like, oh, mate, just checking on you, Jung. How you doing? <laughs> oh, I would have done that differently. Like <laughs> kind of <laughs> just hovers over his shoulder a little bit like that. So Deng Xiaoping, he still does some of the foreign diplomacy work as a way of freeing Jiang Zemin to do domestic work. So George H.W. Bush, the president of America, he immediately sends his secretary of state over. How is this for an American name? His name is Lawrence Eagle Berger. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Like the guy was destined for the top, really, with that sort of like, you don't get more American than that. He really should have run instead of Bush for president. He should have yeah, had the top job. Like like, how could he not win? win? Yeah. <laughs> My gosh. So, yeah, he'd be called the bald eagle burger uh, <laughs> as, as he went through. Look, I, we'll, we'll skip over the George Bush's one pretty quickly because it's probably the least exciting. What happens is it's kind of just soft diplomacy. So there's sanctions that are put on, on China to do with the military. And that is not insignificant because it does actually cut off the military buildup that the Chinese could get. Bush's argument, which I'm pretty sympathetic towards, was we don't want to be too punitive with the sanctions because then we're just targeting the government. And so then we're just targeting the people and not really impacting the government. If mm. Deng Xiaoping is indifferent to our sanctions, then we're putting potentially hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Chinese back into poverty if we are too punitive with our sanctions. Mm. A lot of people will say this is the big black mark in George H.W. Bush's foreign policy. People generally talk about his foreign policy pretty highly. I'm the opposite. I don't think too highly of his foreign policy, particularly like when we looked at the Manuel Noriega episode. Mm. But I think this was actually really good foreign policy. So I'm just the (laughs) Mm. complete opposite of the conventional view on George H.W. Bush. He gets replaced by who? He loses in the election. What year was this? 92. And to come into power in 93. You know it, Ben. He, he was quite a good saxophonist. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you've called me out whilst also not knowing who it was. <laughs> Bill Clinton. Oh, of course. BC. So now Clinton does an interesting thing 
where he starts the cycle of being really anti-China on coming into office, but then backs down. Mm. So we see this kind of pattern played out, play out a few times. So Clinton comes in and one of his key campaign points was that George H.W. Bush was soft on China. It was like, mate, you hit them with mild sanctions. You've got to go way harder than that if they're shooting down people and kind of goes, does things like, yeah, George Bush was, was comfortable with people being shot in the streets mm. and kind of like hits him on, on, on that angle. And so he comes into power with basically this pretty anti-China approach. Something happens in between Bush and Clinton's presidency as well. While George Bush is in office, the Soviet Union falls. Mm. That was the strategic glue between China and America was America opened the door to them as kind of a counterweight to the Soviet Union. It's kind of like, again, the kids are growing up out of, out of the house and then the marriage is really tested in the sense that yeah. you're yeah. not just co-partners in, the, in, in your children. You actually, again, it's because divorce is really common once children have left home. Yeah. Mm. It's now actually a test of, of, of the relationship itself. So Bill Clinton comes in and he's like, mate, you're not getting away with any more stuff. What he does is he actually has the Taiwanese president come over for a visit. Mm. That goes against US foreign policy. So they like this. So the guy's called Lee Tung Kui comes over, has a, has a lovely dinner with Bill Clinton, mm. gets the red carpet treatment. Now we look at that. We're like, it's just a visit to another country in diplomacy. None of it is surface level. These are all statements. Again, the Solomon Islands were really annoyed with us and they actually kind of have gone to China rather than us mm. because we never gave them the prime minister. We never gave them the foreign minister. We gave them really low-ranking government officials, which is a statement that we don't value you as a country. Mm. And whereas on the other hand, uh, Manasseh Sogavare, the, the prime minister of the Solomon Islands, literally got to meet with Xi Jinping. Yeah. And you're mm. like, okay, mm. That's a, yeah, you're going straight to the top. You're getting, you're getting the red carpet treatment there. And so the fact that the president of Taiwan goes to America is actually really indicative of where Clinton's kind of leaning. Now, the other thing I'll add as well, have you heard much about the World Trade Organization, the WTO? The WTO. Not to be confused with the WTA. Different. Which is? The World Tennis Tennis. Association. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Or is that the women's one? Or is that the world one? Oh, I no. Think, I think it's world, isn't it? Or is it women's? I thought it might have been women's. Oh, well, I feel yeah. like anyway, um, oh. ATP. Oh, yeah. Association of Tennis Players. Mm. Wow. So one gets defined by their gender. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. It's a man's world. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> What's the point? Oh, yeah. The WTO. The WTO. Now, if you're a member of the WTO, that basically means you are part of an agreement system to have good trade agreements with other countries where you don't put tariffs on imports from other countries. Making sense so far? I've said one sentence, so hopefully. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Now, China was not officially part of the WTO, but they did have something called most favoured nation status. That meant that they were kind of nominal members of the WTO. But this would be reviewed every single year. It's kind of the opposite of what happened to Anakin in Star Wars. So hmm. he got on the Jedi Council, but he didn't get the rank of master. Mm. China gets the rank of master, but they're not on the Jedi Council, if that I makes see. sense. Yep, yep. Perfectly and so, checks out. <laughs> now, why would this, why would they give them most favored nation status and not have them on as permanent members? Because this gives America leverage. Because they China's got to get it renewed each year. 
the most favored nation status, mm. if that makes sense. So America, particularly Clinton, can use this as leverage against them to be like, change this or we'll relegate your status in the World Trade Organization. Because all these organizations are American run, effectively. Yeah. And so Clinton uses that as leverage against China, particularly to try and get them to kind of make huge human rights reforms. And that's kind of the thing that Clinton's going for. And he's had the president of Taiwan over and he's given them a visit. What China does is China starts doing military testing and missile testing right next to Taiwan. Mm. Again, nothing to coincidence in geopolitics. None of this is just, oh, it's happening. This is happening. It, this is a statement. Yeah. You go to America, we will use military force against you. And so it's actually a pretty tense time when China's doing that to Taiwan. So what year are we talking? 95. Okay. Bill Clinton then sends some US subs and some US ships to go through the Taiwan Strait. The Taiwan Strait being the sea between? Mainland China and Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Again, nothing's a coincidence. Mm. This is all a statement. It's kind of like, I don't know, when I'm on on duty as a teacher, I'm very tactical about where I position myself. Mm. You know, if... Like there are certain groups where you're like, I'm just going to plonk myself right here mm. and just, just make, let you know that I'm here the whole time as, as you consider getting up to your shenanigans. Let them know. Yes. And again, that's kind of what America's doing in China. I wonder if they were like throwing apples from the boats. <laughs> like or like the students in Cam's playground. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that might not happen at your school, Cam, but I feel like <laughs> in high school is a common that like just throwing fruit and food was kind mm, of like yeah. a... That was where shenanigans would happen. Did I tell you about the student in my year that threw an apple into the into the window? Yeah, I think so. So <laughs> is there just an app? We're in year seven, mm. and there's just an apple war across the quad at our high school, <laughs> mm. and the, the one of the really good cricket players just pegs it straight into the window. And again, this was kind of like a turf war. It was the jocks versus middle class. Yeah. And the jocks very much looked down on, on the middle class, of which I was, I was a middle class guy. Okay. And the chief jock, who's kind of got this reputation as being a really big jerk. So he's, so the middle class guy throws it into the window and he hits the window and crashes the window. And it's the jock who gets taken into the office. No. And so we're like, oh, geez, this is going to come down and it's really hard. The jock doesn't talk. Wow. And Solidarity. He's really like, and like, so yeah, the middle class guy that threw the apple was just waiting for him to get called into the office to like have thunder poured down upon him. Mm. Never comes. And a real, real educational moment of like, there is honor among thieves sometimes. Wow. Like. Yeah, that is. Did that, how did that, did that repair yeah. relations? Did that, well, change that the way that he's a very, I think he's a very, my interactions with him have been nothing but positive. So I think his reputation maybe mm. got out of his hand, but that it changed the way that I viewed him forever. Wow. So this guy's got a code. What a beautiful story. Yeah. So anyway, America was making sure that Taiwan and China weren't throwing apples at each other. <laughs> yeah. I never had the guts to like just hurl a piece of fruit. <laughs> I was just like, I saw people do it and I'd just be like, you just don't know where that's going to go. You don't know where it's going to land. <laughs> it could- yeah. It's a very high risk game. Yeah. And so China backs down and China basically, they signed the nuclear non-proliferation treaty, which is an agreement not to kind of nuclearize themselves. This is a quick side note, topical. How has Australia gotten around the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty? Because we, we're signatories. We don't have nukes, technically. Recently, how did we get around nukes? Is it something to do with the submarines? Yes, just have nuclear subs instead. Now, again, yeah. they're not... They're, they're not underwater. 
yeah, they're not bombing nukes. They, they don't send nukes, mm. but they're nuclear powered. And so like other countries like Indonesia are really annoyed at us because it's like, bro, sure, they're not sure they don't send nukes, but it's just as bad for us if this gets, if one of your subs gets hit and mm. causes a nuclear explosion. Yeah. That's going to, like, we don't, we do not want nuclear powered ships in our waters, please. They're dangerous. Mm. Yes. Mm. So Indonesia's really annoyed about that. Anyway, back to China. America had a $3.8 billion trade deficit with China when Clinton came into power. And that's starting to grow. So trade deficit is when you import from a country more than you export to a country. Yeah. Yep. If you have a really big trade deficit, it's not necessarily a huge issue, but there's a power imbalance there because mm. they can just cut you off from your basically the substance of your economy. Yep. At this point in history, Trump, again, 90s Trump, this is Apprentice Trump. Mm. is Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes. And he's speaking a lot. Home alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why did he keep going? <laughs> Why not? What was Fun, the thing? Yeah. <laughs> he's going off about this. So you, you can look at this. There's literally uh, video footage of him on Oprah in 92, I think it is, of him being like, the Japanese are destroying us. They're like, it, it, it's, it's not a trade deal. They're dumping stuff into our markets and into our economies. It's really interesting. Like there is actually some consistency to what Trump has said through all his years. It's not a huge issue in of itself, but it can create a power imbalance. And so what Clinton does is Clinton actually gets the Chinese to try and close a lot of that, 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 a lot of that gap. And basically he gets them to buy, sorry, what trade deficit did I say before? 3.8 billion? No, it was 18.3 billion. Oh. <laughs> they buy $3.8 billion worth of American planes to try and close that gap. Mm. That's after the whole Taiwanese straight thing. So yeah, that's $18.3 billion deficit mm. in 92. Anyway, how Clinton ends his presidency very different to how he started it. He ended it being really quite on good terms with China. Mm. Whereas when he started, he was pretty anti-China. George Bush is about to, George Bush Jr. is about to re-follow that cycle. So Bush comes to power in 2001. Mm. And pretty much immediately, he came in pretty hot. He came in and gave eight submarines to Taiwan. That's, yeah. that's a big statement, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so he gives, gives them eight subs and he, in his campaign, same thing that Clinton did to his dad. He's like, nah, Clinton was really soft on China. I'm going to be really tough on China and we're going to fix that trade deficit. But what happens in Bush's presidency? Well, 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> Now I'm thinking, what on earth does 9-11 have to do with China? Mm. Like that's, you don't think of China when you think the war on terror. Now, China in its West is dealing with a kind of crisis itself. The Uyghur Muslim crisis. We've discussed this a little bit. Long story short, there's way more to it than this. The Chinese government has been in a perpetual state of war against the Muslim separatists in the West called the Uyghur Muslims also called like the East Turkestan independence movement. And they've been in a perpetual state of war. Now throughout the nineties, there were a whole bunch of terrorist attacks that went both ways. So the Uyghur Muslims committed terrorist attacks against Han Chinese and the Chinese government was extremely and excessively punitive in dealing with the Uyghur Muslims. So they've kind of got their own Islamic crisis, so to speak mm. of Islamic terror. So China joins support supporting the war on terror. And they actually back Bush up. And they're like, no, nope, we support this. And we'll give you money to rebuild Afghanistan when the Taliban falls. 
And we also want to deal with our own Islamic terror crisis. And so basically they get George Bush to back off a lot because they're really supportive on the war on terror and the war on terror becomes Bush's priority Mm. when Bush begins his presidency. China also joined the WTO in 2001 as kind of, they are on the council now. Mm. And if you look at their GDP per capita, when they join the WTO, it explodes because now people can't tariff Chinese imports in good faith. If they want to be members of the WTO, they've got to allow China to import pretty much free of tariffs, Mm. which means China can export massively. Hence, when were you in primary school? Early to mid 2000s, where did you see all the made in China stuff? The early to mid 2000s. And China just start exporting everywhere uh, and anywhere. In fact, China's economy is now 11 times larger than what it was in 2001. Jeez. Not bad. So what, sorry, what year was that? By? Like today? Oh, 2021. Oh, so yeah, sorry, today. today. Yeah. yeah. So Bush basically tries to get an agreement going and he kind of goes to Taiwan and he says, okay, for now, can I get you to do this? You cannot declare independence. You cannot change your name from the Republic of China to the Republic of Taiwan. You cannot promote a referendum where people vote on whether they should be independent or not. And you cannot have state-to-state relations with other countries. As in, you do not have an ambassador to other countries because you are not your own country. You're part of China. Now, we're not saying you're part of the PRC. I'm not saying you're part of <coughs> Jiang Zemin's China, but you are part of a China and you don't get to have those state-to-state relations because we recognize Beijing as the leader. Most importantly, Bush went to the Beijing Olympics in 2008 Wow, here we mm. go again, Jake. Sport again, unifying <laughs> the world. Um, did he have a good time? I I, should, I don't know Imagine. if he did because baseball is not an Olympic sport. Yeah, but yeah, true. Softball is. Oh yeah, but he couldn't. He's a pitcher. That's his whole thing. Did he enjoy um, enjoy Steve Hooker winning gold in the pole vault? Oh, um, I, I yeah. assume so. Matthew <laughs> Mitchum. Matt, yeah, yeah. Phenomenal dive. Stephanie um, Rice. That Matthew Mitchum dive could be one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. <laughs> Like, so yeah, elegant. Like it's, it's so clutch to do to have such class mm. in such a such a moment. Sonic and Mario's first Olympics was Beijing 08. Oh, so wow. much! Yeah, what a debut so they had. <laughs> they went gone on to great things from there. Countless hours <laughs> playing that that game. That game. <laughs> <laughs> He's made it into two back-to-back China episodes. Sonic and Mario, they're really yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 on our mind. We um we we played it recently oh. as a bit of a throwback when we were. At a mate's place a few weekends ago. You would have loved um, it, Cam. Yeah, I left before. We did yeah. play. I, I was there for the footy tires and then I left. Yeah. <laughs> Beijing. Yeah, but a great moment when when Jake in his bravado gets up and says, gets up and says, like, I think in one round I'll play the trampolining game and I'll win gold. And I'm like, Jake, I got to call you on that. You can't have that sort of arrogance going unchecked. And so we made a little bet. And then sure enough, Jake just... Wipe the floor like a nine point nine five or something absurd. It's like riding a bike. It's just like <laughs> never forget. We, you know, the night we broke the four by one hundred meter yeah. swimming relay record yeah. at Eli's house. I'm not sure if I, I was. I remember who the fourth swimmer was. There was two of us, JP. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember that. Anyway, and Harry. What a moment. Yeah, we we broke the four by one hundred meter. Yeah. Like that is a very tough record to break in the mm. game. So yeah, 2008. Yeah, it was very. Was that that might have been the London one? 
No, maybe probably Beijing, but I think we had one remote as well. So what it was like a, a tr- the transition <laughs> yeah, you was to <laughs> pass yeah, the wow. baton. <laughs> so yeah, 2008, big year for the world. Ben's big year a very for China. good runner <laughs> in the game. Now, who came after Bush? Obama. Obama. Uh. And we'll look at him next. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's me, George Bush Jr. Just thought I'd also chime in. If you are liking this podcast, it doesn't have to end here. You can head across to the Mr. Mitchell History Patreon and get access to the bonus exclusive podcast for just $1.50 a month. Not only that, but you can also choose an imposter for a vid on the main channel. That face reveals and so much more. This week he tells the boys about the time he cried after getting a participation in the ACAS Saints test in year four. So... With our previous presidents, we saw a cycle in how they campaigned going into office on China. What was their campaign strategy when discussing China going into the election? The last guy did it wrong. Yes. (laughs) Tough on China and then Peter out. Yes. Now, Obama doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. Obama changes tact here. Uh, He definitely says Bush was wrong. It would be a pretty ineffective strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But he says he's wrong on the Middle East. And because that occupies all of his attention, he doesn't really focus too much on China. China also has a new leader when Obama comes into office. It's not Xi Jinping. He will come four years later. But they've now had a guy in called Hu Jintao for a couple of years. And so Obama and Hu Jintao, basically, they, 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 their start is pretty positive, And there's lots of positive conversations between the two of them. But it starts to deteriorate pretty quickly. Now, the positive bit initially was that China agreed to limit the arms they were giving to North Korea. And there was a cooperation as to what to do with North Korea because China's kind of North Korea's last remaining ally. But they're, very, very, they're a very cold ally. They're not, a, they're not a warm ally. Kevin Rudd has said Xi Jinping personally really disliked Kim Jong-un. Mm. So China agrees to limit arms to North Korea and to kind of reduce their capacity North Korea has been a big problem because Kim Jong-il, that's Kim Jong-un's dad, pulled out of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty in 2003. And so now North Korea is getting nukes. And so George Bush kind of calls them an axis of evil when he's president. So Obama and Hu Jintao kind of have cooperation on what to do with North Korea. JFC, Obama's trying to recover from the JFC when he comes into office and China recovers pretty well. And so China's actually starting to grow in its power and by 2012, Xi Jinping's come to, come to power. We looked at Xi Jinping a number of mm. weeks ago when we did the China pod. 
Xi Jinping does a couple of things that really concern America. He starts expanding in the South China Sea. I don't know, have you heard much about the man-made islands that China's built? No, I haven't. So effectively, like, how do you expand your territory, enlarge your borders, whatever? Well, you can build in the sea and build man-made islands that mm. increase your territory. And so China went and have done that in the Spratly Islands and the Paracel Islands. They're kind of two island chains within the South China Sea. China's claim is that this is our border. This is, these are, this is our territory. That's going back to a claim made called the Nine Dash Agreement going all the way back to the 50s. And obviously there's countries that contest that, particularly Vietnam and the Philippines. Mm. Like, no, this is, this is our territory too. So they build these man-made islands. There's an area in the Philippines called Scarborough Shoal. And what happened was actually, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think this was in 2012, but my year could be off here. Chinese fishermen sailed into the Scarborough Shoal to fish there and the Filipino Navy harassed them and ordered them to leave. China said, this is international waters. The Filipino Navy said, no, this is Philippine territory. Leave now. Basically, in response to that, the Chinese Navy comes in. There's a little skirmish with the Filipino Navy and the Chinese Navy claims Scarborough Shoal is theirs. It's this like really small island chain that China comes in and effectively claims control over. Now, what does this have to do with America? Well, firstly, America is really concerned about China's expanse into the South China Sea. But secondly, the Philippines is a US ally. There's a shared defense mm-hmm. agreement between the US and the Philippines. So according to the letter of the law, Obama really should have gone in to fight on behalf of the Philippines against the Chinese. Obama doesn't do that. Now, the Philippines is literally, like, Obama is hated in the Philippines. You can literally, like, if you just look up Philippines protest Obama, there's footage of them burning Obama in effigy in the Philippines because Mm. he's seen as kind of stabbing him in the back. Goodness. From the rest of the world's point of view, I'm really relieved that he didn't go to fight over Scarborough Shoal. It kind of wouldn't want World War III to be over Mm. whether a fisherman (laughs) should be allowed to fish in a shoal or not. (laughs) But the Philippines were really angry. And there was a growing concern that Obama was too soft on China and that Obama was letting China kind of have a free hand. So Obama actually starts to become a lot more firm by the end of his presidency on China. He has a strategy called the pivot to Asia. And basically, this can be translated as contain China. Mm. That's kind of the pivot to Asia strategy. Have you heard of the Trans-Pacific Partnership? Mm. Is that... Uh, a partnership with nations in the Pacific that Australia is a part of? Yes, Australia is a part of. Yeah. So basically the TPP is a trade network agreement where there's shared trading conditions in each of these countries that are part of it. Huge network that spreads across from America to Australia and kind of picking up all those Pacific countries and Asia Pacific countries in between. The real issue is that someone isn't a part of it. China. China applies to be a part of it later on, but America is kind of leading this network of, hey, let's wean ourselves off of Chinese trade and let's trade amongst ourselves. And there's also, there's other issues that go with it too, but that's less of a focus on China. And that's kind of the the, the focus of the TPP. Mm. Let's pretty much figure out a way to we can trade amongst ourselves and cut China out of it so that we're not dependent on Chinese trade. Sort of like start a new group chat. Without that one person. Yes. Precise. That's a great analogy. (laughs) (laughs) If you're that one person that doesn't make the new group chat and you find out about the new group chat, how do you feel? 
You're gutted. Excluded. Yeah. yeah. Go You're to angry. The, go to the teacher. <laughs> yeah, straight to the top. Straight <laughs> to the... And so um, another big issue was America started putting tariffs on China. Very small tariffs, particularly to do with solar technology. The reason why was because America argued that the Chinese government was subsidizing the solar industry, creating unfair market conditions. So if you're heavily subsidized by the government, you can sell your product for much cheaper mm. and the world will buy your products. And so it's green green energy revolutions beginning. America's really concerned that the world will use Chinese solar kind of technology rather than US solar technology because China can sell it at cheap rates. So America tariffs China for that. China takes them to the World Trade Organization to say, whoa, bro, this is, a, this is against the agreement. You're tariffing us. You can't tariff us. That's the agreement. America's like, yeah, but you kind of subsidized. That's not fair. And China's like, well, you wrote these rules and kind of like just basically becomes a he said, he said, she said. <laughs> and the WTO sides with China. Obama's not happy. Mm. But 2016, Obama's gone. He's out. Mm. And a new guy is in. Who could that be? Wow. <laughs> no, no, no. We can't say his name. Number 45. <laughs> Number 45. He's in office. We shall not say his name. Sounds like Voldemort. I'm a, I'm a terrific president. The best president there ever was. Now, Trump's campaign strategy is really interesting. We've discussed briefly how the Electoral College works, I think. Yes. So it's not a popular vote. You, It's basically... If you win a majority in a state, you get all the points from that state and each state has more points depending on their population. So a state like Rhode Island has very few points. I think it's only two, whereas mm. California has, if I'm not mistaken, I actually have no idea how many California has. I think it's somewhere- I, I think it's still quite unbalanced at the same time. Exactly. So it's not entirely proportional with population. Yeah. But if you have a bigger population, you will get more points. Yeah. So it's kind of try, trying to do this like halfway- ground between figuring out okay how do we protect people from getting like majority rules like how can we protect people against if you are a minority to still have a voice but how do we still make it proportional to population it's probably it's probably not a great it's not a great compromise but it is a compromise Mm. point being trump puts his sights on a number of states that he views as battleground states Mm. really wish it's election day today i really wish australia had the like we need to create a red wall through here. And like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a battleground state. Clinton kind of like, yeah, I, I want to be discussing what like the 38th electoral district in Ohio is up to. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want more of that. So Trump's strategy is to basically go to middle America and say, Hey, I'm going to get your jobs back. Cause middle America is kind of the rust belt. A lot of steel factory jobs, a lot of steel production jobs have been lost to China because Chinese steel is cheaper. So his plan is to go and say, hey, I'm going to get you your job back because you have been made unemployed because our government has sold you out. We're going to tariff China. We'll be producing American steel once again. And because companies will be incentivized to buy American steel rather than Chinese steel because they've got to pay extra to get Chinese steel, you're going to have a job. And that's one of the key parts of his category. To quote Trump, he uses the term that China has been raping us. Now, that's not used in the literal sense of the word. Rape is also used just to describe massacre. Yep, sure. So he's using it in that sense of the word, but he's very strong on what China is doing us. He's like, China's winning, we're losing. We're going to flip that. 
And he views trade deficits as a loss. He said, for Trump, it's a huge problem if you're in trade deficit to another country. And so Trump came in and said, basically, I'm going to get you your job back and we'll do that by tariffing China. Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, was like, well, I'm with her. And like, I, well, I rewatched a little bit of Hillary Clinton's campaign. She, you know how there's like the presumptive nominee for a party that's basically just whoever wins the party nomination. Mm. He's like, they call him the presumptive nominee. I call him the presumptuous nominee. And you're like, <laughs> man, no wonder you lost. No one knows what presumptuous means. Like, like, <laughs> and yeah, well, Trump's like, I'm going to get you your job back. Clinton's like getting Katy Perry on to say I'm with her. Mm-hmm. For the majority of Americans, who's going to win? So Trump wins the electoral college. He doesn't win the popular vote, but he wins those middle states and gets the points there. And that gets him over the line. So... Trump is in and he doesn't play by other people's rules. Mm. There's a Dave Chappelle joke about <laughs> Trump taking a phone call from the president of Taiwan and how you can't actually do that. And Dave Chappelle's joke's like, I didn't know that either. Big fan of the president. President can do whatever <laughs> they want. Mm. They decide what the policy is with China, not previous president's policies. And so he actually takes a phone call from the president of Taiwan. That's basically recognizing their legitimacy. Yeah. Like, to an extent. Like, if you're willing to take a phone call mm. from them. So, Trump does that to begin with. But he also praises Xi Jinping a lot. He's like, Xi Jinping's a very smart guy. I'd be doing what he was doing if I was in this situation. They're winning. We're losing. Um, and I congratulate them for winning. But we're going to start winning now. Fast forward to 2017. Trump starts putting tariffs in place. So, again, tariffs are just taxes on imports. 2018, he starts going pretty hard with the tariffs. 25% tax on steel from China, mm. 10% tax on aluminium from China. What would Xi Jinping do in response? Well, he'd be a bit miffed, that's for sure. He very, he's very miffed. Well, I guess, would he tariff things coming the other way as well? Exactly. So what would Trump do in response to that? Double tariff. Mm. What would Xi Jinping do in response to that? Triple tariff. And everything <laughs> is just getting tariffed out of existence. And it's actually the business community on both sides don't like this. Because oh, yeah, understandably. So it's just understandably, yeah, it's exactly. just holding up trade. Exactly. And so the business community is pushing hard against Trump saying, no, please let these tariffs go so that we can buy cheaper steel, sell things for cheaper and have more business. Mm. China's kind of saying the same thing to Xi Jinping. They want cooperation, but it's easier in China because the government owns the companies. So Xi Jinping can just say, ride the wave for now. We need to do this. And so Xi Jinping basically kind of plays the power card of, look, We've got a population of pushing 1.6 billion people. You've got over 300 million. Your market is more important. Our market is more important to you than your market is to us. And this kind of stands is like your move. And they're still in quite a hefty trade deficit at this point. Yes. The US. Yep. Exactly. And Xi Jinping's like, look, look at how quickly our economy is growing. We're rapidly growing our economy. Sure. We're not where you are yet by any means, but it's rapidly growing. We'll be fine. You do that what you will. Go into an election with food prices going through the roof and with steel prices and everything. Like steel is used for everything, right? So car mm. prices, go into the election with all those prices being higher because you're not backing down to me. Your move. Pretty like mm. pretty tense standoff. Who comes to the rescue? Kevin Rudd. Oh. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> How many times have we heard that? <laughs> mm. So he leaves the handball court. 
And <laughs> basically, because his think tank before he was the ambassador to America, his think tank was basically the Asia Policy Institute. How can we ensure that China and America are on good terms? Mm. He goes with basically a whole bunch of other foreign policy nerds and they start writing up proposals for what could happen. How can we ensure that, that, each, that each party wins? And kind of the angle they wanted to go towards was, look, China's going to win, but we're going to frame it in a way that makes Trump look like he wins so that he can save face, which is his concern because he's got an election at the end of the year in 2020. Alternatively, China is less concerned about saving face, but if actually they benefit from that, Xi Jinping isn't facing public election or anything like that. The fruits of the labor, the party will know what's up. The party will support Xi Jinping. Both parties win. That's kind of the angle they were going for. And we call this the phase one agreement was signed in January of 2020. Pretty much, actually, it was signed, if I'm not mistaken, on January the 7th, 2020. Wow, what a day that was for us. That was, <laughs> that was the date we flew to Korea because China denied access to Korea. <laughs> Where did we discuss that story? Was that the, the Xi Jinping podcast? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, what a day. What we flew day. to Korea on our way to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Not just we attempted to go to China and opted for Korea instead. Well, PY discussed Chinese KFC in the podcast. We did have Korean KFC. Mm. Otherwise known as well, Korean fried chicken. Korean fried chicken is fantastic. It's so good. It was, yeah, I quite, 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 quite. I mean, it was contextually good because we were just stuck in an airport after a long haul flight. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> like, sort of anything you ate would have been good at that point. Have you been to the Korean place? In Korea? No, 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 no. Like the <laughs> Korean restaurant. Like a Korean barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's fried chicken sick. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I think this was a little, uh, mm. little low budget. Little budget yeah. <laughs> I was playing Lego Star Wars, the complete saga at the same time. So I was, I was, I was pretty content. Life was good. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the phase one agreement was signed in, uh, in America. Now, January of 2020. What's starting to happen? COVID. COVID. And Trump and Xi Jinping, they're now buddies again, at least in the public eye. And you can actually go through Trump's tweets and you can look at what he was saying about Xi Jinping from 2020. When COVID breaks out, he said, Xi Jinping's the man to handle this. Don't worry. He's got this under control. He's a good guy. Back Xi Jinping. Fast forward to February, kind of same thing. Fast forward to March, says the same thing. Now, Xi Jinping's got this under control. We are fine. But we know the story. Mm. It wasn't fine. In fact, just two weeks later, the world was in lockdown. And during that time, the S&P 500 stock market index dropped to drop by a third of its value because of COVID. Now hate's coming on Trump really badly for COVID because it's now running pretty rampantly in America. The business community is really suffering. People were like, hey, you said Xi Jinping has this under control. And like that, Trump flips on China. And this is where we see the really negative foreign policy towards China at the end of Trump's presidency. What does Trump start doing with coronavirus and how he describes it? The China virus. <laughs> Kung flu. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so he just, his strategy is to just heap all the blame on China. It gets worse though. In June of 2020, they signed something called, the Congress signs the Uyghur Human Rights Bill. Effectively... It's sanctioning individuals in the Chinese Communist Party for their involvement with what's happening with the Uyghur Muslims. And again, make of that what you will. Like you can look, 
at the way the Uyghurs are treated. You won't hear me defending the way the Uyghurs are treated. There's a little bit more to it than just hauling people off the streets. But yeah, the Chinese government absolutely has been brutal with the Uyghur Muslims. But they knew about that since 2017. They only started to make moves in 2020. Why? Well, it's awfully convenient to now push (laughs) the blame on China Mm. for everything. Trump bans TikTok. Mm. Trump bans WeChat. The ban has not become effective, but the ban is there and the intent is there. January of 2021, right before Trump leaves office. January January 6th, is that what we're talking? Or was that 2022? I think it's actually, I think it actually be after January the 6th. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's actually after the um, the insurrection. Well, no, January 6th was the capital riots. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's after, yeah. the, after the, the, the capital riots. So they declare what China is doing a genocide. Mm. That is huge. That If you call what the other biggest superpower in the world is doing a genocide, that is more or less a declaration of Cold War. Mm. You now cannot store... If you've called them a genocide, you cannot restore relations. Because what, you're going to make peace with the genocidal power? Mm. You've, used, you've used those terms to define them. Like, that's why I'm so really fearful about World War III and think it's a really likely possibility. How do you come back from genocide? If... Your enemy, the biggest superpower in the world, by your logic, by your terms, is committing genocide, then you've effectively signed yourself up. You've got to contain them. You've got to stop their influence because they're a genocidal power. And is this um is this the Biden administration at this point calling them a genocide? And this is still Trump, like a week before Trump steps down. Because when oh, because Biden was elected late twenty twenty, but then inaugurated early in January twenty twenty one. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, it's the biggest hospital pass. To an incoming administration. Yeah. Hey, you want to have good relations with the Chinese? We just called it a genocide. Huh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so does Biden come in and reverse it? No. Is it because Biden believes it's a genocide? Maybe, maybe not. Um, Kevin Rudd in his book, The Avoidable War, he has a really interesting statistic. Fantastic book. Definitely read it. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but it's something to the effect of Chinese favorability rates at the beginning of 2020 were around about, what, maybe like 50% or so? People had a 50% favorable view towards China. Mm. By the end of 2020, it was down towards something like 20%. So what? Is Biden really going to come into power and do something that will annoy 80% of Americans? Mm. No. And so he doubles down on the genocide and basically says, yeah, we support the gen- we support the declaration of genocide. Australia supported America in doing this. ScoMo, again, no surprises. ScoMo just comes straight out and is like, yep, we, we agree with America. Uh, particularly because there's all the Australian factors going on. Topic for another day. But we've got our own Cold War with China, which ScoMo pretty much started. Mm. Jacinta Ardern of New Zealand says no. Look, Jacinta Ardern said, basically said, look, genocide's a big term. There's huge political implications that come with it. We're not saying that we approve of anything the Chinese government has done with the Uyghur Muslims. We don't think it's wise to start throwing around words like genocide. Mm. But now it's a bit rash. Mm. Ever the Auntie Jacinda. Back at it again. <laughs> so. Is it genocide or not? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I guess we don't know exactly what's going on. Yeah. So the, like, long story short, if you don't know much about the Uyghur Muslims, um, which I'd be really surprised considering, like, yeah. it's, all the, it's all we talk about about China right now. Uyghur Muslims, essentially, like we said before, Islamic group in Western China. And there's a history of terrorist attacks from both the Chinese government against the Uyghur Muslims and the Uyghur Muslims against the Chinese government. Both... I have committed huge acts of terror, particularly around the late 
late 2000s, so the time of the Beijing Olympics, from about 2008, 2013, I think the statistic is that nearly a thousand Han Chinese died from Uyghur Muslim terrorist attacks. Xi Jinping's approach to that was to basically be really firm with them and have police, like make it a police state and have police set up everywhere in Xinjiang. What started to come to light in 2017 was that these Muslims were placed in concentration camps. So I think the BBC might have been the first ones to break the story that they were functioning as re-education camps that basically they were being kind of like a lot of them were shaved of their beards and things of like that would visually denote an Islamic person Hmm. and they were being re-educated into Han Chinese culture. So being re-educated out of their religion and out of um, any sort of like traditional Uyghur dress to instead be effectively Han Chinese people. And so when we use concentration camps, we're not talking Nazi extermination camps. We're talking re-education camps. Yeah. Very different between the two of them. And so it's kind of considered a cultural genocide for that reason. It's not the Nazis putting Jews in gas chambers or anything like that. That's what we're calling genocide. And that's what Trump and Biden were really insistent was genocide. Mm. Again, potentially, but just like the political implications are so big for doing it. And what do you stand to gain? To pat mm. yourself on the back? Yeah. Like politics, unfortunately, is not, not to hate to say this, politics is a game of what you can achieve rather than what can what what can make you feel good and mm. what can make you good about yourself. Calling what the Chinese are doing a genocide achieves nothing. It just divides the world into two spheres of influence. So it actually works for America, right? Because it forces all these other countries to either show, are we with America? Are we not with America? But it doesn't do anything for peace, for cooperation, for avoiding World War III or anything like that. And so, look, I don't begrudge Biden too much for this because I think his his hands were really tied going into office. Biden wasn't particularly positive towards China either. So AUKUS was under Biden. That's a pretty heavily anti-China statement. Mm. Nancy, this isn't Biden's fault, but Nancy Pelosi, so she's head of Congress, the the kind of house leader in in Congress. She went to Taiwan. What the heck? Mm. That's like, that's giving them heaps of legitimacy and just provoking China and angering China for for what? So Nancy Pelosi can pat herself on the back. Mm. Like I didn't see what the gain is there. And again, that's not Biden's fault. Biden told him not, not to do it. That's Nancy Pelosi that made that call. The one positive was that at the end of last year, Xi Jinping and Biden had a meeting and they met face to face for the first time. That was really positive. The fact that, they, that the two were meeting together. Mm. Also, at the same time, the Russia-Ukraine war has taken heaps of heat off of China and it's redirected it towards, towards Russia. Mm. And China's not stoked with Russia-Ukraine. They're reluctant allies of, of Russia, but they are really worried that this will destabilize Russia and actually create a, like a collapse of a government that's on their border that they've had pretty good relations with recently. So China is not by any means happy with Russia-Ukraine. And that's taken heaps of heat off of them. So there is some hope. But again, if Trump comes back, there's pretty much no no hope for Chinese-US relations. DeSantis, who's looking like he could potentially beat Trump to the Republican nomination. I'm not holding out heaps of hope. If like Kamala Harris, she's pretty much done. She can't, I can't see a way that she becomes president. If Biden stays on, I think there is some hope. But Again, a lot of these things actually aren't controlled by the president. It's these kind of deep state people in intelligence like the CIA that don't mm-hmm. have their terms that necessarily come to an end the way the president does. They, these guys control a lot of the negotiations. Biden didn't want 
Nancy Pelosi to go to Taiwan. She did anyway. So it's not all in the president's hands at all. Mm. And so something's got to change. And again, America's, if America's stance on Taiwan is that it's kind of independent, their official stance is the complete opposite, but the messaging they've been saying is that we need to protect Taiwanese independence and protect Taiwan from the PRC. How do we not go to a war? Because Xi Jinping has made it very clear that Taiwan is to be reunified with the PRC. And he'll probably hang around until 2032. So in those next nine years, I'd be surprised if Xi Jinping didn't make a move on Taiwan. So the way that we avoid this world war is that we make Taiwan basically a place that Xi Jinping doesn't want to invade. That means a lot of concessions need to be made on Taiwan to make it a place. So things like Kevin Rudd in his book, The Avoidable War, he suggested getting rid of American ambassadors and American diplomats that are in Taiwan. Take them out. Because that shows that you're propping them up. And we need to make Taiwan a place that Xi Jinping is okay with leaving alone. Mm. That is probably the only way we avoid leaving World War avoid World War Three. Biden has been asked the question, what would happen if you were to if China was to invade Taiwan? On one occasion he said there'd be there'd be unquestionable force. And then later we walked it back and said no strategic ambiguity. Either he's playing China hot and cold and trying to give multiple answers to throw them off the game so they don't know, or he just had a complete gaffe and revealed America's foreign policy mm. from the whole world. I'd probably lean more towards the first than the latter. But yeah, we've got to, we've got to know what our what our Taiwan policy is going to be because my my gut reaction is I think America will go defend Taiwan, which will then drag the Allies into it and create a third world war. And yeah, and as three able-bodied twenty-year-old men. The, the thought of that scares me. <laughs> yes. And as a teacher, that's what I'm really concerned about for, for my students mm. is that you're just looking at a generation. And again, like we push the anti-China propaganda pretty hard. A lot, again, propaganda, I use it in its original sense. A lot of it's not untrue, but a lot of it lacks perspective and doesn't zoom out and see the bigger picture of what's going on. And that's why AUKUS does scare me. It's like, on the one hand, what is it, like $370 billion or something like that we're paying for these nuclear subs? Something ridiculous that we're getting in 2032. So Xi Jinping will probably make a move on Taiwan before that anyway. And like, yeah, it, absolutely, it does help us with our national security, of course. But what it doesn't protect, it, do, it definitely makes the chance of World War III much more likely than not likely. And where would most of the fighting be in World War III? Not on Australian soil. So yeah, it would protect us, but we'd lose mm. heaps of men in the process. Un- for me, unnecessarily. Mm. And again, if you look at the history of the China-Taiwan, it goes all the way back to the end of the Chinese Civil War. I tend to agree with Keating's battle. I think it's an internal dispute. That's not me saying like Taiwan and it, like the Taiwanese deserve to be shot down by the PSA or anything. Like, of course, I, I'd hate that idea as much as anyone. Do we want to stake World War III on what would be considered an internal matter. What the American government has since the 1970s said is an internal matter. Do we want to stake everyone's lives on that? Mm. And again, what if like, why is America really keen for this? Well, the sub the subtext for this war is it's really a war for who has supremacy of the world. That's why America is really okay with the idea of a war. Yes. They'll lose heaps of men in the process, but it protects them as kind of the su- supreme regulators of the world. Is it just yeah. like mutual destruction? That's like what's holding it off, really? 
Not necessarily. So, like, yes, mutually assured destruction with nukes has been a long-standing military theory that kind of has prevented war. But China is at a point where China's naval build-up has been huge in the last 10 years. Mm. China definitely doesn't want to jump the gun and go into war. Because if China were to go to war now, we don't know who would win. And so the longer China waits, the stronger their position is going to be. And that's why America's responded really heavily with like nuclear subs because they know the longer China wait, the longer, the, the, the stronger their position gets. But America can't make a move until China does something, really. Because if America moves in now, it's a clear invasion. It's a clear denial of their sovereignty. So they've got to wait for China to do something. But they what, what can they do in the meantime? Well, kind of flood the world with anti-China propaganda. Again, which a lot of it isn't untrue, but it's just very skewed in our perception of what China is. And actually, um, like the rest of the world, to deal with that. And prepare the world for a war with China. It's scary. Like it's. Mm. <laughs> wow. Hey. It's grim. Quite a somber tone I felt to end on there. But I guess it's like you said, it's very real. I think we try to shelter ourselves from these things. But really, there's a lot going on out there. It's all happening. Well, see you next week. Hopefully. <laughs> we will see you next week. <laughs> oh, damn. That was deep. That's way scarier than being indicted. You know what to do? Give the podcast a Spotify rating and consider joining the Patreon for just $1.50 a month. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.